Nope, not that one. Here we go, this one. Four or even five or six different ways that the Bible uses saved. Okay? And we're not talking about this first one. We are not, we're not talking about believing in Jesus and receiving eternal life. Okay? That's, that's only the first out of the four or five or six ways that the Bible uses soteria or uses sozo or uses saved. Okay? Um, to receive eternal life, to be delivered from the penalty of sin. We're talking about this one, the second category. Delivered from the sins themselves and the power of those sins and the failure of those sins. All right, And so Paul is undergoing a test where he has some adversaries that are trying to cause him distress. And according to his earnest expectation and hope, he's going to be saved from what? From the shame. He's going to be saved from, as it says here in verse 20, that I will not be put to shame in anything. That's what he needs to be saved from. Okay? And then think about it too with the things that you're being tested with, things I'm being tested with. Whatever that testing is, say, Father, there could be two outcomes here. Your victory or defeat, right? I can pass this test. And, and I want to pass this test because I want the Word of God to come alive in my thinking and I want to live that Word and I want to walk by faith and I want to have victory on this test. I don't want to whatever, fill in the blanks, you know, based on your current sin struggle. I don't want to know. But whatever it is, okay? The, the alternative is, is I don't get saved. I don't apply the Word of God. I don't let the Word of Christ richly dwell within me. Okay? I, or I quench it. Or I resist it. Or I decide to handle it myself with my own human effort. Or I just throw my hands up and give up and say, I don't care if I fail this test. And I go punch somebody's lights out. Okay? But the, the scripture says the pastor should not be a striker. Okay? So here's the test. Do I let the living and abiding word of God save me? Okay? That's why in James it, it says, with humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your soul. That's what it's talking about. In the second category here, delivered from sins. And so Paul has this earnest expectation and hope. He has a salvation coming up. And it's not, uh, it's not a danger rescue, which is the fourth classification, or uh, the Bible also talks about going to heaven as a salvation, being saved from the very presence of sin. Anyway, as long as we're clear on that, his uh, earnest expectation and hope for this salvation is to not be put to shame in anything. Because the consequences of a failure, the consequences of what's going to happen, what happens to that first group, the group that's rightly motivated preaching Christ, if Paul surrenders to the, to the despair that that second group was trying to promote? Okay? And uh, who knows? You know, what happens to their faith? And what happens when he fails to set the right example? And what happens? Um, you know, this flock knows very well from back in the 1970s. Uh, when, when, the, when the pastor fails, what happens to the member's faith and, and how devastated do people become um, in that. All right. So uh, we talked about Iskuno and the ideas of shame, uh, talking about having an earnest expectation, talking about having a hope. And that's where we ran out of time. Uh, we looked at all the Pauline uses for Elpis. And understand hope, when the Bible uses hope, uh, particularly in the New Testament, the use of Elpis and Elpizo 
it is far stronger than how we typically use it today. It's not the, uh, we use it today as a throwaway word, as a, as a kind of a, a lost cause. You know, I hope Texas beats Oklahoma or, you know, something like that. You know, something useless like, yeah. Um, or, or, you know, whatever, I hope I win the lottery or I hope whatever, I hope. And we just use it as a throwaway thing. And do we really have the confidence that El Pizzo represents? Because El Pizzo is a positive anticipation. It is a living estate that we have in Christ. It says we're born again into a living hope in which we stand. And that living hope, we are the ones that are full of hope because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so all of these expectations, I love Romans 5 that addresses this. I love Romans 8 that addresses this. It talks about our estate in Christ. It is a living hope. We are sons of God that have been saved in Christ. And that is, that is powerful, absolutely powerful, especially in Romans 8 there where it says, hey, guess what? You can't lose that. Nothing takes that away. Uh, what shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, right? Nothing. And uh, the powerful text there. So there's Romans 5, Romans 8, Romans 12, Romans 15, all speaking of these, these great positions of elpis that we are in because we're in Christ. And uh, it's a tremendous context for believers. The context for hope is a positional truth in Christ, and often it's manifest experientially through the body of Christ. So we get to serve one another, and occasionally we need to. Occasionally we lose heart. Occasionally we lose sight of our hope. And that's why when we're part of a body, then one member can bear the other member's burdens and then remind them of that great hope that we all should have. See, And that's why I like asking you when I see you, uh, can you testify to the faithfulness of God today? That's, that's a marvelous opportunity to reflect upon the hope that we all have in Christ and how faithful He is. So this is not only an emphasis for Paul, but it's also taught by Hebrews, Peter, and John. And uh, this is what I want to pick up with tonight. So Hebrews 6.18. Hebrews 6.18. This is one of the five warning passages of Hebrews. I'm thankful the Lord's taken us through Hebrews at the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday mornings. Somebody asked me the other day, how long a study do I think this is going to end up being? And I said, ah, I don't know. I can look back over how many classes it took us to finish chapter 1, and now we're in chapter 2, and are we, is it going to be the same pace in every single chapter? Or some chapters, probably going to be longer. Okay, These are the easy ones, and dealing with angels. <laughs> I don't know, Well, we'll see and uh, what the Lord does. But Hebrews has five warning passages, and here in chapter 6 there is a warning passage that um, the, the peril of apostasy, the peril of, falling, the peril of falling away, what are the consequences when you fall away from the faith, and, uh, and I'm thankful that we get a chance to teach this and teach it accurately, so uh, we understand that the consequences are loss of reward. The consequences are in time as far as our loss of blessing, but in reward, uh, in eternity, as loss of reward. But is there anything in this that causes us to die and go to hell? Of course not. Not at all. Not in any of the five warning passages. In any event. It says here, Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. In verse 9, things accompanying salvation, though we are speaking in this way. And uh, as we come down here, we see the, uh, the promise. All right. And... Uh, this is what he does, and he does this because this relates to us. He doesn't have to, but I think it's, it's neat the way God condescends and, and does this. 
Um, he doesn't have to take an oath, but he chooses to. And because this is what we do. And uh, we did look at this. That's okay. We can look at it again. Since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. You know, we usually put our hand on a Bible and say, so help us, so help me God. Um, you know, what does God do? Does he put a hand on a Bible and so help me me? No, but he, he does though. The God who cannot lie takes an oath. Okay, that's powerful. And that's why it says, uh, and so, uh, verse 16, for men swear by one greater than themselves and with them an oath is given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, he interposed with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. And this is a a, a powerful text. I think far more than causing me to fear my salvation, I think it goes the opposite direction. I think this is such a security passage that causes me to cling to this hope because my God's not a liar. My God's not a liar and He's promised to give me eternal life. All right, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, one which enters within the veil. And so there you see it. There's the anchor terminology. There's the, the, uh, the, the security that we should have, the stability that we should have. We talked about that back in chapter 1 of Hebrews. We should have stability. Biblical Christianity should be the most stable thing in the world. And if there's a doctrine or if there's a fear, if there's a something else that's causing instability and turmoil. Well, why is that? Is the Spirit of truth providing for that? Is the Spirit of, of, um, of peace providing for that? What is that? All right, so there's the living hope. How about t- uh, chapter 10 and verse 23? Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Notice that? Holding fast does not depend on how faithful we are, it depends on how faithful He is. And I love that. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. We could be faithless tomorrow, next day, but if we are faithless He stays faithful for He cannot deny Himself. What a delight. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the rapture doctrine, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the rapture that day drawing near. Okay, I think verse 25 is a rapture passage, but uh, we won't get into that. Anyway, we hold fast the confession of our hope. Can you imagine? What a blessing. First Peter. First Peter also addresses this. One three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There it is. That's us. That's our position in Christ. And it's not uh, according to what we've earned and deserved. It's according to His great mercy. And uh, notice it says, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Okay? That's that third classification, when we get to be absent from the body and to be at home with Jesus Christ. Our ultimate salvation, phase three, when we are uh, ultimately saved. I mean, that's, that's the final step, right? Because uh, I don't know when you got saved, but for me it was September of 1973. And my soul was saved, my spirit was made alive, and nothing whatsoever happened to my body. Okay? Or yours, or anybody else's. They came to faith in Christ, and they were left in that fallen body of death, as Paul said, who will set me free from this body of death? And uh, the final salvation is when we get to say goodbye to that body. <laughs> Good riddance. And uh, leave it in the ground while we go to heaven. And uh, put on the interim body and then um, watch that mortal thing get resurrected at the rapture. And so this is called a living hope. Born again to a living hope. What a blessing. Uh, which is... Uh, uh, the idea of a living hope because we have a, a living Savior. We, we present ourselves as living sacrifices. Uh, Jesus didn't stay dead and uh, we operate in this living hope. What a delight. Same chapter down to verse 21. And uh, verse uh, 20 when we talk about our uh, regenerate state here. Um, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Is it in yourself? No, it's in God. Always has been, always will be. And uh, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, Fervently love one another from the heart. And so all these commands are on the basis of a premise of the standing we have in Christ to begin with. We are in Christ, so live that way. We're in Christ, so love your brother. Okay? It's not, don't put the cart before the horse. Don't try to prove that you're loving your brother so you can earn your salvation. Give up on that. None of us earn our salvation. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. This imperishable seed generated our new nature in Christ. That's eternal. All right. Uh, so this is that living hope. First Peter 3.15. You know what? This is what we're commanded to be ready to explain. This is usually um, thought of as give the gospel to an unbeliever verse. But I think the scope is wider than that. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Okay? And that's not in order to earn your salvation or get saved in the Lordship gospel or something dumb like that. All right? This is a command that's given to somebody who's already been born again into a living hope, but now we're expected to obey these commands. And in the light of suffering, which I think is the context here, uh, verse 14 says, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, okay, you are blessed. So sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. When you're under persecution, just do this. Set Him apart, sanctify Him. Say, all right, Lord, I'm in your hands. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you, how do I go to heaven when I die? That's not what it says. To give a defense to everyone who asks you, what must I do to be saved? That's not what it says. They ask you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Okay? Now, functionally, you clearly can include the gospel as you explain that. But it's bigger than that. What if it's a believer asking you this? 
What if it's a brother? What if it's a sister? What if it's somebody who is saved but doesn't understand the, the hope you seem to have and they seem to be missing? All right? Where's the stability? Where's the anchor in the soul? Where's the doctrine? Where's the, where's the uh, why is it that, that you have this stability and I don't? Well, give an answer. Make a defense, an apologia, an apology, a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Keep a good conscience and then of the things in which you were slandered. See, all of this comes in this context of, of testing, which means probably the one thing that's going to spark their question is when they watch you um, not, not going berserk when the testing hits. And they go, wow. What's the hope within you? So keep a good conscience that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Hey, there's a shame connection with our passage tonight. Paul did not want to be put to shame. All right, so uh, this is an emphasis for Paul. It's an emphasis for the author of Hebrews. It's the emphasis for Peter. It's an emphasis for John. 1 John 3, 3. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Okay? And so you realize, you know what? Some believers don't have this. Some believers aren't walking in this kind of hope. Some believers aren't oriented to this kind of doctrine. And, uh, and until they learn it, I think they're going to continue to struggle. Um, but that's not... It's available for all of us. Okay? See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Okay? Again and again and again. The people that try to convince me that 1 John was written to unbelievers it's just, it's insane. Are you reading the same Bible I'm reading? I mean, English, Greek, what are you reading? It says the same thing. These people are saved. Beloved, we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. Our resurrection body is going to be in conformity to the body of His glory. And uh, we just have little glimpses, tiny little glimpses of things that He could do in His resurrection body. And um, there it is. So if you ever dream about being a superhero, oh man, that's nothing compared to what we have. (laughs) Okay? All right, resurrection in Christ. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him. Notice that. Not everyone does, and it's unfortunate. Not every believer keeps their eyes fixed on Jesus. Some people choose to look at the things below. Some people choose to look at themselves. Some people choose to look at things that aren't on the list in Philippians 4.8. Whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if there's any excellence, anything, you know, that, that list. I probably got them out of order. Um, but that's, uh, that's, let your mind dwell on these things. Keep your attention on the things above. Sadly, um, some don't. And yet we can. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. So, so keep your hope fixed on Him. The author of Hebrews says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And, and uh, Paul in Colossians says, fix your eyes on the things above. I mean, they're all saying the same thing, and it's because we stand in this living hope. How, how beautiful is that? All right. So Paul says, according to my earnest expectation and hope. He goes on to say, with all boldness, 
with all boldness, he wants to exalt Christ as always, but especially now. We want to pay attention to some uh, expressions here. Let me get back to Philippians. In this last little bit here, verse 20, um, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ will even now, and that's what's being emphasized, even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Okay? And I don't know, this, this gets convicting. This gets, um, because you have the, the emphasis on the especially now, even now, in contrast with the as always. And do we ever fall for that? I know I do. I expect that's, I'm not the only one. I think scripture defines this as well, that is common. So if there's something that you do always, do you then um, quit praying about it, quit thinking about it, stop trying, let your guard down and say, well, this is just what I always do. This is just what I always do. And you don't think about it. You don't pray about it. You don't keep your guard up. What does the Bible say? Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And so Paul says, hey, as always, I'm always doing this, but even now, what if this becomes the exception? What if this becomes a moment that I don't do what I do as always? What if this is the moment that, that I don't um, exalt Jesus Christ in my body? What if I allow my fallen body and the sin of my fallen body to just trip me up and I, um, and I don't exalt Him, I don't glorify Him? So just because there's an as always, don't just take that for granted and say, well, it's automatic. I always do this. I always pass this. I always pass that. You know, the Father's got an amazing way to to retest us in different capacities, particularly the ones we've passed in the past. We've we've had victory formerly. And now he, uh, He gets us with it again so that He can bring out another dimension that we hadn't thought of before. And now all of a sudden, well, wait a minute. This was easier the last time. (laughs) Wait a minute. How does that work? I probably was a younger believer and had more of a hedge around me the last time. Now I've got, now I'm an older believer and the Father lowered that hedge a bit. He expects more of me. And uh, there you go, you know. If you're still using the the bumper guards in your bowling lane after you've been bowling for 20 years, that's not good, okay? If you're a five-year-old and you're just learning how to bowl and they, and they, they put those bumper things in the, in the gutters, you know what I'm talking about? So you can't bowl a gutter ball when you're a little kid and they put those things in there. You're going to knock some pin down, just can't help it, okay? But eventually, though, those things got to go away. You got you to bowl like an adult, okay? And then the Father, I think, does that in our testing. We have, we have a hedge of protection around us and, and so sure, we could pass things when we were younger and, and earlier and whatever, and then when we come back to face that test again later, we go, oh, wait a minute. Huh, okay. Hadn't thought about that before. And you start to recognize there's dimensions of this test now that you didn't even face the last time because you were oblivious to, to that even being a, a problem. But now here you are. So um, I think this idea of the as always um, and not losing track of the even now um, 
becomes a, uh, a volitional test on those occasions. Okay? Paul's expectation and hope was to exalt Christ in his body. And not only do we have this text here, but we have Romans 12.1, we have 1 Corinthians 6.20. We've got the expectations that we will present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice as unto the Lord. And uh, it's, 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 almost, um, it's almost an oxymoron or a contradiction of terms. It's almost, if, if we didn't have these verses that said what they said, we would think that they were wrong. <laughs> because why? Because this body is a fallen thing. I said before, I said, well, my soul was saved, my human spirit was made alive. Nothing whatsoever happened to my body when I became a believer in Jesus Christ. I still have the same fallen body I've always had. In fact, I have more of it these days. I'm a little on the heavy side. But, you know, you have this fallen body and I'm told to glorify Christ in this body? To present my body as a living and holy sacrifice? Well, you know, can I wait to do that for when i am got my resurrection body? <laughs> no, I'm told to do it here and now in this body. Okay? And so... Uh, we have these passages. Romans 12.1 is why we have to be in the Word of God. We have to be transformed. It's not just a, a body of, of, of information that we've stored up in a frame of reference. You know, it's not a quantity of doctrine and residency that we've, uh, we know enough. It's the ongoing process of transformation. So I urge you, my brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they presented a sheep, they presented a goat, whatever they, a bull or a, a bird or whatever they brought. They, they brought a, an, a living animal that they then proceeded to kill as the, as the sacrifice uh, took place. Okay? But we don't bring animals anymore. Why not? the shadow doctrine was fulfilled in the, in the work of Christ on the cross. Yeah, Not because, well, it was primitive and old-fashioned and we're in the modern world. That's dumb. Chuck that. Okay, uh, Because the shadow doctrine of animal ritual was fulfilled by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Same, uh, so we don't bring animals, but we bring ourselves. And we don't kill the animal. We are living sacrifices, but we do, what do we put to death? The deeds of sin. We crucify ourselves. We put to death the, the deeds of the, of the flesh. And then we, in the flesh, <laughs> glorify Jesus Christ by walking by means of the Spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And so, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. That's the sweet-smelling savor, acceptance of God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That's worship. Living your life according to the biblical norms and standards is worship. Not the style of music you like to listen to or whether you raise your hands and sway back and forth or whatever else people call worship. Worship is living your daily life according to the doctrine of the Word of God. And stop being conformed to this age, but be transformed. Keep on being transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, it's the process Keep on being transformed by the keep on renewing of your mind so that you may demonstrate, prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
And so you never have enough Bible class. You never have enough information. It's not a quantity of doctrine that, well, I've learned these verses. I've memorized this doctrine. I have 15 notebooks on my shelf. Great. Read them again. Learn them again. The ongoing process is what keeps you from being conformed as you are transformed, continuously transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then 1 Corinthians 6.20, you've been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. And these things are not automatic. You know, God doesn't give commands that just automatically fulfill themselves. He gives commands that we have to volitionally obey. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You know, you were a slave to sin, but you didn't buy your own salvation. Christ bought you. The Father bought you, and the purchase price was His Son. You're you're not your own. You belong to Him. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, with your body, by means of instrument. And that's what Paul wants to do. And uh, you know, if you're faced with physical death, if you're faced with uh, danger, martyrdom, whatever, uh, is fear of bodily harm going to cause you to compromise your doctrine and, and not glorify Christ? Are you going to deny Him because of bodily harm? Yeah, we may, uh, we may be facing those kind of days in front of us in our nation. We've been very protected all this time. And then he says, as always, you know, an always way of life becomes tested in various even now moments. <laughs> you know, pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. Rejoice always, even now. Ooh. <laughs> okay, say, so, well, I'm okay with rejoice always, you know, most of the time. Uh, even now. Oh, you mean always means even now? Without ceasing means even now? In everything means even now. So an always way of life. And, and you, you have to be on your guard. Every, I mean, yes, you're being renewed. Yes, you're growing. Yes, everything is, seems to be going well. Even now becomes a volitional test. Because how sad is it if you have all this long chain, you know, we talk in a prayer meeting, you know, Moses, 40 years of leading those knuckleheads, and then he blows it. And it seems like, man, that's just one little failure. And he can't go into the promised land because of that? That's right. Even now. And an always way of life becomes tested in various even now moments. Moments of great testing. And it's, uh, it's what we're dealing with. All right. We'll come back and uh, pick up on this. I think this is, this is the groundwork now and we'll be able to talk about to live as Christ and to die as gain, uh, whether by life or by death. Paul says that's kind of irrelevant. That's beside the point. Um, whether by life or by death, Christ needs to be glorified. And so if a greater glory, you know, someone's struggling with cancer and we want them healed, what if, what if a greater glory is they don't get healed? What if they die? What if the cancer takes them home? And then 30 people at a funeral service come to faith in Christ. You know, you think it's better that they didn't die? See, God knows what He's doing in all of these testings. Every, every one of these testings. Father, I thank You for tonight. Thank You for Your faithfulness. Thank You for the living hope. Thank You, Father, for Paul and his encouragement. And he made it very personal. He said, to me, 
to live as Christ and to die as gain. And I want to have the same attitude. I want Austin Bible Church to have the same attitude. And anyone that studies Philippians, that they can personalize the concept and uh, make their own application. That uh, Satan loves to use the fear of death. And the fear of death is a power that Satan has. Well, Christ came to defeat that power. And and, uh, we should no longer be subject to that fear of death. We should be walking in the newness of life, in the the, uh, living hope of the resurrection. So Father, make these passages very real to each one of us. I thank you and I praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, keep your armor on.